This one will come from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 25 through 31. John, chapter 7, verses 25 through 31. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not come yet. And many of the people believed him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than, the, than, this, than these which this man has done? A lot of people have a flannel graph view of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, if you grew up and went to Bible classes, your teacher in Bible class at some point probably used a flannel graph to teach you about Jesus. A two-dimensional flannel graph where you would have Jesus and his apostles and they'd go and they'd heal the sick. Or he would be holding a young child or maybe a little lamb. And that's a really effective way to teach young children because they can see and visualize what the Bible stories are telling us about who Jesus is and what he's like. But there's a problem as we get older that we may not fully move from just seeing Jesus as a flannel graph picture to a real person. Let me ask you this, what did Jesus look like? I mean, if you had to describe him, what would you say he looked like? Well, the flannel graph taught me when I was a kid that Jesus was white and that he usually had blue eyes, sometimes brown, and that he had shoulder length brown hair and that he usually had a really well-trimmed beard. And the flannel graph also taught me that Jesus, he wore a sterling white robe and it usually had kind of a blue or sometimes a red sash across and, and his robe was always whiter than everybody else's. And, and he was always very, very much a standout in, in all, all those pictures. And then I ask the question, when we think about what Jesus was like, is that the picture that comes to your mind? If somebody were to ask you to describe Jesus, how would you describe him? As you've read about Jesus this week in our Reading in Sync program, have you noticed that the Bible never really describes what he looks like? It never tells you what color his hair was, doesn't tell you even what color his skin was. The Bible doesn't tell you how tall or short he was. In fact, everything that we can make out about the way Jesus looked, he just looked ordinary to people. There was nothing remarkable or extraordinary that the Bible thought was really worthy of mention concerning his physical appearance. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, when Jesus went back to his hometown, they just said, isn't this the carpenter? Where did this man get these mighty things that he's doing? Where'd they come from? When people ran into Jesus and met him for the first time, they didn't see him as somebody that, that had a halo. He didn't have a supernatural glow. And his robe wasn't any whiter or any more bright than anybody else's. 
He just looked like an ordinary person. And I think that's important that the Bible makes that clear because it was what he said and it was what he did that is really remarkable. It was the heart that Jesus manifested that was really vital for us to pay attention to. And so this morning, as we reflect on what we've been reading this week, I'd just like you to think with me and imagine with me, what would it be like to go back in a time machine 2,000 years ago and to follow Jesus and to listen to him teach and to watch him? What would you learn about this man? What kinds of things would you experience as you encountered Jesus in person 2,000 years ago? With that in mind, what was Jesus really like? If you were to follow people who were pointing out somebody who claimed to be the Messiah 2,000 years ago, perhaps the first thing that you would notice is that this man was a teacher. The fact that he was a teacher. If I could go back in a time machine to the earthly ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago, I would find him in just about every situation teaching people. And that's unusual because he wasn't raised or trained to be a teacher. As a matter of fact, his father was a carpenter. And so in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, when he went home, they said, isn't this the carpenter? He learned his father's trade. But that's not what he did when it came time for his earthly ministry to begin. He was known as the carpenter, but very quickly he became what people called the master teacher. There has never been another teacher like Jesus. There has never been anyone who is so profound and so pointed and so good at reading people and reading God's word and explaining and expounding the heart and the principles and the mind of God to people. Nobody ever did it better than Jesus. He is the master teacher. In fact, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and by the way, knew quite a bit about teaching, Nicodemus came, and in John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. You are amazing in what you're able to do. In John 7, 46, that some of you read this week, no one ever spoke like this man. That's what the soldiers said about him when they listened to him teach. He was an amazing teacher, and people came from miles around to hear him. And what's also fascinating about Jesus, if you could go and follow him 2,000 years ago, he didn't have a headquarters or a home base. He didn't set up a building and purchase land and have a ministry that, that was kind of based in any one particular location. He was what we call an itinerant teacher, wandering from place to place, teaching people who needed to hear about God. And he once said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, Luke chapter 9, verse 58. The Bible says that he supported himself with money from hearers. In fact, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 and look at verses 2 and 3. I've always been fascinated by this passage. In Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, where did Jesus find money to provide for himself and for his apostles and those who were following him? Where did, he, where did he have resources to be? Because people still have to eat and they still have to provide for themselves clothing and things like that. So where did Jesus get those things? Where did he get funds? In Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he came, uh, had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him 
from their substance. It's interesting to watch as you read through the gospel accounts that there was a money bag that Jesus carried around with his apostles. And in fact, Judas was the one who carried it. John chapter 12 verses 1 through 6 teaches us. And whenever somebody wanted to make a contribution to Jesus and his apostles, they could do that. And they'd put that money in the bag. And sometimes they would use that money to feed the poor. And sometimes they'd use that money to provide meals. And sometimes they'd use that money to provide for their own needs. But as you follow Jesus, this itinerant teacher, you would notice that there were people who were grateful for what he was doing and they were continually providing for him out of their means. And when we talk about the kind of teacher that Jesus was, I've already said no one ever spoke like he did. He was compelling, he was charismatic, he was captivating in his ability to speak. People came from miles around. It wasn't because they didn't have anything better to do. They had lives, they had jobs, they had families, but these people left home and they left their jobs and they left their families and they went out into the wilderness to find and to listen to Jesus. In Mark chapter 8 verse 2, the Bible says that on one occasion the disciples had gone, the people had gone, and they had listened to him for three straight days without food. He was an amazing teacher. People wanted to hear what he had to say. In Mark 12, verse 37, the scripture says that the common people heard him gladly. He wasn't on such a high level that people couldn't understand. Most of his teaching was done in parables and through questions and in easily relatable principles that are still as deep and rich and profound today as they were the day they were spoken. No one has ever taught the way Jesus did. Incidentally, when people heard Jesus teach, they also heard the voice of authority. When Jesus talked about judgment day, he didn't just say, God's going to judge you. He said, I'm going to judge you. When Jesus talked about the end, he didn't just say, one day all the dead are going to rise. He said, one day all the dead are going to hear my voice and rise out of the grave. He taught as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. He taught in a way that was different from what people were used to hearing. In John chapter 6, verse 68, when he said some hard things and people started to leave, he turned to his apostles and said, are you guys going to go away too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 68. You're saying things that are true and right and eternal in their weight. The first and most important thing you might have noticed about Jesus, had you gone to him 2,000 years ago and had you listened to him during his ministry, you would have noticed that he was a teacher. He was interested in communicating. He was interested in connecting. He wanted people to hear and to obey God's voice. Now, I have a question for you right now in 2020. Have you taken much time to listen to what Jesus is saying? What I mean by that is, have you really spent time reading in the gospel accounts the things that he said are important? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is a great place to start. The Sermon on the Mount. John chapters 13 through 17. The Upper Room Discourse. Read the sermons, read the parables, pay attention to what he's saying, because what he's saying is not just for people 2,000 years ago, it's for you in your life today. Pay attention to what he teaches. 
The second thing you might notice about Jesus, maybe the first thing many people would notice was this, his abilities. He could do things that nobody else could do. He was amazing. And maybe this was what attracted many people initially to Jesus. The fact that Jesus had miraculous abilities. In fact, everybody knew it. Everybody knew that Jesus was able to perform miracles. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, after his death and resurrection, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he told the crowd of thousands that Jesus had done many signs and miracles and wonders in their presence. And nobody raised their hand and said, wait a minute, Peter. No, he didn't. Those were not real. Everybody knew it. Everybody acknowledged that Jesus had been performing miracles throughout his ministry. Say what they wanted about what power he used. Sometimes they accused him of using the devil's power to do those things. But they did not deny that Jesus could do those miracles. Everybody knew. What kinds of miracles would you find him doing? The scriptures reveal Jesus did amazing things. He fed the hungry, 5,000 just men on one occasion, not counting women and children. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. He healed every sickness. It didn't matter whether you had cancer or whether you had some kind of chronic blood condition. It didn't matter what your illness was. Jesus could heal it. He could cause the blind to see. He could cause the deaf to hear. He could cause the mute to speak. Jesus never lost a case. He's the great physician. He cast out demons. Demon possession was something that happened in the first century. And the demons, when they saw Jesus coming, would cry out and they would say, have you come to torment us before the time? But they always spoke respectfully and they always obeyed when Jesus said, come out of him. Did you read in Mark chapter 5 this week about the demoniac, the one that had the legion of demons? Every time I read that, I think about there's, there's people that we don't know what to do with, even today. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, but I'm just saying there are people that we don't know what to do with because they're not in their right minds and they're not in control of their faculties. And we don't know, as a society, we still don't have good answers. And all they did in the first century with this guy was they sent him out among the tombs and he was out there with the chains and he was cutting himself. There was, there was nothing that anybody could do for him. They just had to send him away. But Jesus, Jesus could feel, heal him. He could cast out those demons. Nobody's ever been a friend like Jesus. He could cast out demons. He stilled the storms. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, what manner of man is this? Who could this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? He could call up the weather with a word. The Bible says he provided a great catch. Did you read that this week in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11? Let down your nets for a great catch. But Lord, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, it's your word. We'll do what you say, Peter says. And they go and they have so many fish in their nets that they have to call for help. And the boat starts to sink because the catch was so tremendous. Something that they had never experienced before. And you want to talk about a great fish tale for fishermen. Something that they'd talk about for years to come. You remember that time that Jesus sent us fishing. You remember that time that he told us to let down our nets for a catch. He truly is amazing and miraculous. He raised the dead. A man came to find Jesus because a little girl was sick and while Jesus was on the way, a little girl died. And Jesus says, don't worry, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn, Mark chapter five. But Jesus put everybody outside except for mom and dad and for three apostles. 
And Jesus said, Talitha Kumai, a little girl, arise. And he took that little girl by the hand and she sat up. And it's amazing when you read Mark chapter 5, the Bible says he commanded that they give her something to eat. Practical. She's going to need to continue to eat. His abilities. If you had followed Jesus 2,000 years ago, you'd be amazed. Are you amazed today by the things that he's able to do? By his power? What else would you notice about Jesus? What was he really like? What kind of person was he? He was a man of compassion. Unusual compassion. This is a harsh and a demanding and an unrelenting world that we live in. But when people came to Jesus, they found someone who cared, someone who loved, and someone who was sensitive to what they were going through. At a funeral for a loved one, Jesus wept, John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus rejoiced when his apostles went out and were able to cast out demons and they were subject to the. Jesus rejoiced. He was, he was thrilled that they had done so well by God's power and for God's glory. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Jesus forgave sin. People who lived with guilt and shame, people who knew what it was like to do the wrong thing and didn't have an answer for how to get out of their situation and get out of their problem. Jesus said, I forgive you. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. At the cross, he was considerate. Woman, behold your son, he said to his mother. He thought about the needs of his mother even while he was dying for the sins of all humanity. He had other things on his mind. He had a full plate if anybody ever had one. But Jesus took time to think about and pay attention to the hurts in the people that he loved. You know, one author said this. She was writing about Jesus. She was a literary critic many years ago. And as she was analyzing literature and looking at what the Bible says about Jesus, she said, has there ever been a more affectionate hero in all of literature? What kind of man is this, Jesus Christ? In Matthew 24, verse 19, he just kind of parenthetically says, woe to those who are with children and nursing in those days. He's talking about a time of great trial for the city of Jerusalem, a time when there's going to be tremendous suffering. And he says, woe to the women who are with child and woe to those who are nursing. And the lady who was writing about Jesus, she said this, what kind of man stops and thinks about the travails and the difficulties of pregnant and nursing women? What kind of man thinks about that? Jesus did, Matthew 24, verse 19. You would notice if you followed Jesus, his tremendous compassion for people. And not only that, he taught others to be compassionate. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, whatever you would have men to do to you, do also to them. You know what that demands? It's called the golden rule, and it demands that you be compassionate. To be compassionate means that you feel with somebody else. It means that you are able in your mind to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and to think about what they're perceiving and what they're thinking. That's the compassion of Jesus. Whatever you'd have men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Compassion. 
Not only, though, would you notice the compassion of Jesus. And by the way, sometimes people focus and emphasize the love and compassion of Jesus, but they miss this next point. So don't check out. Pay attention. If you followed Jesus 2,000 years ago, you would also hear some boldness. You would also notice that Jesus was unrelenting, and he was demanding, and he was direct, and he said things very often that offended people outright, so much so that they not only left him, some of them wanted to kill him. Think about that. This compassionate, sensitive, good, tremendous healer, one who is thoughtful and sensitive towards others, there were some people who heard what he said and they wanted to put him to death. And it was because of his boldness that that happened. Jesus claimed equality with God. They called him a blasphemer. I mean, really, what kind of person says, I and the Father are one? John chapter 10, verse 33. He better be able to back that up. He claimed to be the judge of all the earth. In John 12, verse 48, the word that I have spoken will judge you at the last day. You want to talk about, you want to talk about somebody who's either crazy or he is incredibly important. Jesus claimed to be the judge of all the earth. Not only that, but he spoke boldly about sin. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. He said to his audience, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. People had brought to him the story of the news of the day, the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed people. Jesus said, do you think there are worse sinners than anybody else? I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He talked about sin a lot. Not only that, but Jesus preached difficult things. In John chapter 6, verse 61, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. And the Bible says they were offended at this saying, and many of the disciples who had been following him because they'd been fed, I mean, he was providing meals, five loaves and two fishes made into enough food for a mass, a multitude. But those same people in John chapter 6, verse 61, when they heard him say that, they left. They said, we're not following you anymore. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That doesn't make sense to us, and you're not going to explain it to us in a way that we want. So we're leaving. He preached difficult things. And what's maybe even more striking is the fact that Jesus let them leave. They didn't have interest in hearing more of what he had to say. And they started to walk away. And Jesus didn't change his message. He didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you completely misunderstood me. He was bold. He was forthright. And he wanted people to come to him. Listen to me. He wanted people to come to him on his terms, not theirs. And brothers and sisters and friends, I want you to hear me this morning. If you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to come to him on his terms, not yours. That is the way that Jesus demands that we come to him. It's not about what I think I need to do to be saved. It's not about what I think is important to do in order to be a disciple of Jesus. It's about what does he say? Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he talked about priorities. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He talked about really critical, important things. And he was telling the whole world, you need to wake up. Do you think this is a game? Do you think it's a joke? Do you think you can just sleepwalk through life and that everything's going to be okay? There is something after this life and you need to pay attention and make preparation and come to me because I can provide a better way, a better solution. That was his message consistently. 
I find it fascinating that Jesus said more about hell than anybody else in the entire Bible. Matthew 10 verse 28, do not fear him who can kill bodies, but fear him instead who can kill both body and destroy both body and soul in hell. Do you realize that we learn more about what hell is like from Jesus than from anybody else in the Bible? Do you realize that? Read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at how much he said and how many descriptive terms he used. He called it a place of outer darkness, a place of torment. He gave us the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 to describe some of the tor torment and horrors that people go through after this life is over if they leave in an unsaved condition. Jesus talked about this. And so while we talk about his compassion and his meekness and his gentleness, yes, we also have to pay attention to the fact that this same man who talked about those things talked about eternal punishment as well. You have to do something with that if you're going to follow him. He was angered, Jesus was, by people with hard hearts. Mark chapter 3 verse 5 tells you that verbatim. Jesus looked around in anger before he healed the man with the withered hand because of the hardness of men's hearts. I say all this to say that when we look at Jesus, if you had followed him 2,000 years ago, yes, you would have seen his miracles. Yes, you would have heard his teaching. Yes, you would have seen that he was compassionate and thoughtful and kind and gracious. But you would also have noticed that Jesus was bold and uncompromising when it came to talking about holiness and sin and when he talked about the eternal destiny of all mankind, Jesus did not pull punches. We need to appreciate what he's like. In Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6, the book of Revelation describes him not just as a lamb, but as a lion. The lion who is the lamb. We sometimes want a savior who's a lamb, gentle and meek and a sacrifice for us but he's also a lion, brothers and sisters and friends. He's bold. What would you notice about Jesus if you followed him 2,000 years ago? What about schedule? I don't know about you, but sometimes my schedule gets kind of crazy. And as I look at my Google calendar, which I used to not use for anything, but now I use for everything, I sometimes look at it and I say, wow, there's an awful lot happening this week, this month, this year. What about Jesus' schedule? What would you notice about him? I think maybe the most striking thing to me about the schedule of Jesus is that he was, as one writer put it, a man for others. Jesus loved people. And Jesus was interrupted constantly by people. And Jesus characteristically invested in those same people that came to him with needs and concerns and hurts in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the inspired preacher, Peter, put it this way. He went about doing good. A man for others. Even when he was busy, Jesus was flexible. Did you read Mark chapter 5? I already asked you that. I heard one preacher describe Mark chapter 5 as the busiest day in the life of Jesus. The busiest day of his life. Read it from start to finish. Mark chapter 5. You've got the man with the legion of demons. Then you've got the lady with the issue of blood. Oh, and by the way, Jairus had come, the ruler of the synagogue, and he said, my little girl is sick. Will you come and heal her? Oh, of course I will. And he's on his way, and he's being thronged by crowds. And then finally, the one with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment. She's healed. He has that interaction with her. And then finally he goes, and he raises this little girl from the dead. Even in the middle of his busyness, Jesus took time because people matter. 
What about his schedule? People invited him into their homes frequently, and Jesus never seems to have said no. If somebody wanted Jesus to come over for dinner, Jesus was coming over for dinner. Matthew, right after he had called him in Luke chapter 5, through a party, invited all of his friends, and Jesus was there, the guest of honor. He never seems to have turned down an invitation. One of the other things you'd notice about the schedule that Jesus kept is that he invested in prayer. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed all night long on more than one occasion. When it came time for his arrest and trial, he prayed in the hours leading up to that. And even while he was hanging on the cross, suffering for our sins, he prayed three times. He was a man of prayer. Maybe the most amazing thing about Jesus' schedule is this. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't ever see him in a hurry. You don't ever see him frantically trying to arrange events and control circumstances so that things will happen just the way he wants them to happen. He walks through life. He knows his time is short. He knows his hour is at hand. But Jesus spent his ministry loving God as evidenced by his desire to spend time with his heavenly father and loving people, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did anybody ever live up to those two commands in the way that Jesus did? What do you notice about Jesus as you follow him 2,000 years ago, last thing? You might pay attention and ask this question, what's his mission? What's he really all about? What's he trying to do? What's Jesus trying to accomplish? His mission. He said, I've come to preach, to heal, to restore, and to set the captives free. Luke 4, 18 and 19. What's your mission, Jesus? What are you here for? I come to call sinners to repentance, he said. Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. What's your mission, Jesus? I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. What'd you come for, Jesus? Why are you here? What's your purpose in life? What's your ministry all about? I've come to be a light to the world. John chapter 9, verse 5. Why are you here? What's your mission? In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, there is born to you this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. From the very beginning, he was born so that he could die for you and me to save us. What was Jesus really like? The Bible doesn't tell us what he looked like physically. We may have some conceptions in our minds of what we think that's all about and what we think he might have looked like. What the Bible does emphasize is that if you had followed him, though he looked like an ordinary person, there was something extraordinary about him. In fact, if you'll listen closely and if you'll make the decision to put him first in your life, you will find that not only is he extraordinary, he is God. He is divine. And he will transform your life and change it in the most profound way possible. He'll forgive you of your sin and he'll take you and make you a disciple of his. There's no better way to live your life than to live as a Christian. And when you ask the question, what was Jesus like? The answer to that question ought to transform us. 
if we can help you to obey the gospel this morning, a person becomes a follower of Jesus when they decide that they want to believe in him, repent of their sin, and be baptized. It's at the point of one's baptism, Jesus said, that they participate in what he called the new birth, John chapter 3, verse 5. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Will you make that decision this morning? If you need to respond and ask for prayers, if you need to respond and we can help you obey the gospel, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?